sent for me. Why, behold, our hero. Get to the point. I'm weary. Listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 275, and I'm your host, Lee. I like the death. I like the misery. I like this world, Russell. And I am joined by the returning OG host, Daniel. We've got kingdoms to save and women to love. Harper. How you doing, sir? <laughs> I am I am doing well. Uh, Merry Christmas for these two, you know, absolutely holiday themed uh, flicks for going to be, uh, uh, yeah. uh, in, in, you know, sending to the audience today. This is actually going to come out on, uh, I think, New Year's. Is oh, okay. Well, going to come out, but uh, still, uh, hope, hopefully, their Christmas was great, and they they yeah. watched movies similar in theme to what we're going to be covering tonight. Yeah, we are recording on Christmas Eve uh, in the middle of like the worst blizzard in thirty years. Here, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's a nice distraction, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just by the way, people wondering for, about that pause, I didn't forget. Daniel's last name uh, there for a second. Uh, I was, I actually had like, I expected two other people uh, on tonight was going to be Lady Lee was going to be on and uh, our friend Gary Hill was going to be on, but they both had to drop out and I had the quotes all written down by their names. I was like, Oh, I'll just take this quote and I'll stick that in Daniel's. And then I started reading the quote and it's Gary Hill's name. And I, it just fucked me up in mentally. And yeah. You you could have just edited that pause out and nobody would have noticed. But you know, you you, you have integrity as a podcaster. Right? I see that. You know, uh, integrity, laziness, yeah, come hand in hand. I guess it, yeah. it's it's impossible to edit audio, as we all know. So mm-hmm. Once once it's recorded, you just you just have to leave it. That's 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 life. I do so little editing now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't been around, so you don't have to you don't have to worry about it as much. I, I get it. You know. Yeah. And all those all those anti-Semitic rants I just go on randomly. You're like, yeah. I better, I better cut that out. <laughs> Man, the hours I have left on the cutting room floor. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we got Daniel back. Uh, always good to have you back, sir. And yeah, no. 
Uh, we're going to be talking about two Albert Pune uh, films tonight. Daniel sort of uh, threw out there, hey, you want to do a tribute to uh, the late Mr. Pune since he just passed away uh, like last month or whatever? Um, yeah, the end of November, November 26th, I believe. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, we already covered Radioactive Dreams back in the day. So uh, and we had always talked about, oh, we got to get some more of his films under our belt at some point. And uh, yeah, we're going to be doing it tonight. We're going to be looking at his first film, The Sword and the Sorcerer, and uh, his film that uh, some argue killed Canon Films, uh, (laughs) 1989's uh, Cyborg, although it really didn't kill Canon. Canon was already on the way out by the time that film was made. But uh, Yeah. um, yeah. So before we get into what we watched lately, do you have anything, by the way? That- I, I don't really have much. I, I, I'm fine with skipping that segment, at least on my end. So, you know. Okay, good. I, I actually don't have anything either. So we can, okay, we can, great. Right so we can just move right in. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I just want to mention, though, briefly uh, for, for people listening, uh, if, you, if you haven't gotten enough of me yet, uh, there's three other podcast appearances I've done in the last month that uh, you can check out. So I was on the Movie Melt podcast recently, and we did the um, what I termed on the podcast an outsider Hallmark movie because it, it kind of feels like, oh, this was made a couple lots down from where the Hallmark movies are made. You know, it's not quite good enough for Hallmark movies, but it's basically the same thing. It's just Christian-themed, and it's uh, Homeless for the Holidays, which is a very wrong-headed bad <laughs> fucking movie um this feels like something i need to watch tomorrow yeah that's uh it's got a guy who looks like uh wish.com adam sandler in, in the, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just did the google don't worry mm-hmm. yep it is it's something but yeah <laughs> you, you can hear more about that on movie melt podcast i was recently as well on the podcast under the stairs uh, with duncan mcleish and uh, we covered Silent Night, which is the pseudo remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night. And it's also not a very good movie, but uh, we had fun talking about it at the very least. And another one of the killer Santa Claus movies that are out there. Speaking of Albert Pion and Radioactive Dreams, I was recently on the Grindin podcast as well. And we covered Radioactive Dreams uh, as a tribute to the late Mr. Pune as well. So uh, I will have links to all those in the show notes. And uh, yeah, check them out if you are so inclined. Yeah, awesome. Uh, all right, so we're gonna take a quick break, and you know, I'm gonna ask the question out there to the listeners. Do you like music? Mm. In that case, you're gonna love this. I was into these dudes before anybody. Parted with them all the time. Motion Picture Massacre. Fuck you. We talk about exploitation movies, grindhouse movies, fucking cult movies, horror movies, okay? We don't talk about fucking romantic comedies over here. We're not talking about fucking Sandra Bullock or some shit. We're talking about good movies, the kind that people like to watch. Yes!
right, The Sword and the Sorcerer from 1982, and we do have a trailer. Dungeons and dragons. Wizards and witches. Magic and revenge. And a warrior caught between. The Sword and the Sorcerer. Rated R. All right. And of course, directed by Albert Pune. Uh, this is written by Tom Kurnowski. This is his only writing credit. He actually went on to be a big time producer. Um, he produced a bunch of P- uh, Pune's films, including Radioactive Dreams, Vicious Lips, Alien from L.A. But then he went on to do stuff like Euro Trip, The Last Jedi. Some people might have heard of that film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the uh, Two Knives Out films. So, um, yeah. well, you know. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I think you can kind of see it. I don't know. Maybe we'll maybe we'll get into that. But uh, <laughs> uh, I am gonna I am gonna check <laughs> the uh, the new uh, Knives Out film that's on Netflix now. The uh, it's on Netflix now. Yeah, I haven't caught it yet, but it's definitely on my on my to do list for for sure. Yeah. Uh, also written by uh, John V. Stuckmeyer. He wrote a few things after this. None of it I recognized honestly. And then of course Albert Pune also has a writing credit on this. It's starring Lee Horsley as Prince Talon. I was surprised I actually know him from some recent stuff. He was in Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight yep. uh, in bit parts but he was in yep. them. Typical Tarantino thing. Oh this old actor I used to see in the 70s. I'll, I'll put him in a bit part in my movie. There we go. Yeah. Um, he did a bunch of TV from what I understand. Yeah. He his a couple of like low you know kind of lasted for a season kind of detective shows in the 70s and 80s is his big one was the matt houston tv series which was i was reading the synopsis for it oil baron goes to california to run his like friend's oil business and do detective work on the side because he's a rich white guy why not he has no problems (laughs) exactly (laughs) the kindler gentler side of the oil industry you know yeah it's it's the jr ewing you can like you know, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to California and I'm gonna investigate all all the all the shady shakes is what mm-hmm. I'm gonna be doing. You know, it's all you know. Yeah, there are some radical eco terrorists who are out there like pointing signs at my oil company. Mm-hmm. We need to we need to definitely investigate that crowd. Probably yeah. find some new eyes on their record or something. Let's see what goes. Yeah. <laughs> uh we got kathleen beller uh as princess alana and uh i know she was she had a part in the godfather part two i assume just like basically a bit part she was in fort apache the bronx and she also went on to do a lot of tv most notable um dynasty and then she was in this other one called like search for tomorrow or something like that she had like 600 and some episodes of it which was a long-running fucking i'd never heard of it before but uh soap opera that uh yeah went on forever i guess until like the 80s from the 50s to the 80s so uh yeah that was apparently her her you know her big break was uh you know being a Mm -hmm. soap opera actress you know so yeah hey you know it is what it is yeah yeah uh simon she she worked for like 20 years i mean you know Mm -hmm. like i mean she worked regularly for 20 years so i mean what do you what do you you know like yeah you did you did fine (laughs) yeah uh simon mccorkendale as prince uh mika and here's an interesting one uh so he was in death on the nile i know him from this and a lot of people kind of know him from this now when they like to think about cheesy tv that didn't last long he was Jonathan Chase in Manimal, which was the uh, oh, notorious 
terrible fucking TV series that lasted all of eight episodes, but people can't seem to forget. Uh, I, I always used to see uh, ads for that on the on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel when I was like thirteen, and mm-hmm. uh, I never gave it a shot. I was always like, "Yeah, that looks pretty uh, pretty bad." I think it, I'm it, okay. With, it is bad, but it that. it is kind of hilarious to watch. It's it is one of those so bad it's good kind of things. Strangely enough, the guy behind the Manimal series, I think he was also behind the. Um, do you remember Nightman? from the 90s mm, no, no. Yeah. oh that, it was a really bad superhero series about this like guy who can f- sense evil and he's also like a jazz musician musician uh, by trade uh, they tried to bring nightman or they tried to bring manimal back by having him guest uh on, on one of the episodes they tried to like bring him back in and and, and spin off a series but it never happened but uh mccorkendale also had some uh, other big TV uh, series, uh, Falcon Crest. He was on quite a few episodes of that and Counter-Strike, which I never watched Counter-Strike, but I always remember it being, you know, commercials for it on TV and stuff. And I know my grandmother and stuff used to watch it back in the day. It was like rich guy brings a team of like spies and stuff together to fight terrorists and shit, you know, kind of typical eighties, late nineties kind of TV. George Maharis is uh, Mikolai, Cromwell's war counselor. We have Richard Lynch. The great Richard Lynch is Titus Cromwell. Surprisingly, we've never really covered him on this podcast, although he's been so many uh, good things uh, and bad things. Uh, the Seven Ups, God Told Me To, Death Sport, uh, Invasion USA, the uh, Chuck Norris one where... Yeah. <laughs> he fought- the cannon <laughs> yeah the cannon, the cannon one USA, yep, yep, yeah yep. he's in rob zombies halloween and uh, his last credit was uh rob zombies lords of salem so uh, there you go richard mole as yuza we have covered him actually in american pop uh a little while back uh, the animated uh ralph bashke uh f- film uh but most people know him as bowl in night court so <laughs> Wow. I did not actually look that guy up, and I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, One of two uh, 80s sitcom actors in in this cast, one of whom was very recognizable to me, like, almost instantly. But I could not put my finger finger on, like, who that guy was. He was so out of place for me. I'm like, who is that guy? And then I found him like, oh, God. Anyway, we will get to that shortly, I'm sure. Yeah. A lot of Richard Mole's like early roles are surprising. The stuff he popped up in before Night Court, uh, like sort of uh, took off for him. Anthony the Longest is Rodrigo. Uh, I just mentioned him because he's Blade and Masters of the Universe, and that'll become more important in the second film we cover, by the way, and when we get to trivia and the, and the like. But he's mostly known as a stunt guy. He did he did do a lot of bit parts as well. Robert Tessier is Verdugo. Uh, he is the bald henchman in this film. And I recognized him from a bunch of stuff. And it's like, yeah, he got his start in like early biker movies from the seventies and the like, like the born losers, the glory stompers five, the hard way he was in Walter Hill's hard times as one of the, uh, uh, bare knuckle boxers that uh, has to fight uh, Charles Bronson. He was also in Charles Bronson's uh, Breakheart pass and he was in The Deep and Star Crash and a few other things here and there. He died really early, like in his 50s at like 1990. Uh, we got Christopher Carey as King Richard. Nina Van Palident as Malaya. I just mentioned her because she was in The Long Goodbye. Yeah, no, yeah. I was like, I saw her in the cast. And I'm like, wait, who, which character is Malia? 
I can't remember because there's a couple like blonde women in it that are kind of like interchangeable, you know? Yeah, but she would have been, I mean, she would have been in her like 50s by that point. So she would have been Mm. like not one of the nudies like hanging around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I was actually surprised. I'm like, I, because I, I loved her in the Long Goodbye, and I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, she, yeah, she was born in 1932, so she would have been like literally 60 years old. So she must be like, maybe she's in the uh, the intro, the like 20 minute prologue sequence that you know, maybe she's yeah. In yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, I didn't pick her out, but um, then we got Red Brown as Philip. Uh, I noticed his very his first credit was the uh, the snake uh, centered horror movie. <laughs> it's just great what a great title of course a lot of people know him as your hunter from the future in your hunter from the future uh and a lot of the people also you know some people uh, I, don't, I don't know if they're being tongue-in-cheek or not but they go that's my captain america because he was captain america in the two tv films from the 70s yeah yeah yep. and of course he's also in howling too uh your sister is a werewolf also known as sterva werewolf bitch depending on you know what what version you pick up and then we got joe regal budo <laughs> as darius <laughs> Frank Fontana himself from Murphy Brown, <laughs> like yeah, you know, just shows up, just fucking some some girl, you know, in a in a, in a brothel, <laughs> and is like, ah oh, man, we got to go really kick some ass for talent, man, you know, and that's basically what? his entire role. And I am here for it. I am so one hundred percent here for it. <laughs> I'm like, why don't we follow that guy around? I want to, I want to, I want to know what that guy's adventures are like. The most unlikely mercenary you would ever hope to see in one of these movies but yeah he sticks out like a sore thumb uh 258 episodes of murphy brown apparently murphy brown had like a re yeah they did a, they did a, yeah they did a revival series like uh a year or two ago and oh. it was like routinely panned it's it, basically like you know this was a great like 80s and early 90s show that just did not like you know seeing these people kind of coming back and expressing like those kinds of 80s and 90s you know kind of political values just it didn't it didn't age well you know um, they just disco- the- they discovered that murphy brown was actually a classic liberal quote unquote <laughs> <laughs> i don't even think it, I, it was just very much kind of the like hillary leaning in with her sort of like mm-hmm. stuff it was kind of where the you know kind of where it landed but uh you know i didn't see it i did see um I did see some some uh, commentary on it that just kind of made me go like, yeah, I'm happy like letting this one reside as like something I be- I beloved from my childhood, you know, yeah, something I really liked when I was twelve. Probably not something I need to be you know following today, you know. Yeah, uh, I noticed uh, Mr. Uh, Regal Buto also uh, starred in Raw Deal, or at least had a role in it, uh, the Arnold oh. Schwarzenegger uh, movie Raw Deal. So uh, yeah, okay, we, we got it for the Joe Regal Buto extended universe. If he t- if he plays a tough guy in that as well, I'll be like, okay, something's <laughs> going on. He's got something written in his contract. I, I kind of believe him as this. I I kind of was watching this and I'm like, man, wouldn't it be nice to have seen this guy like you know as a uh, sort of like James Con and thief kind of yeah. Know, you know, you can see him as being this kind of wiry tough guy. You know, kind of going out there and doing. And doing shady shit, like I could sort of see that. I, I think he was he, he was wasted if there if there wasn't at least one movie like that. But apparently, he went on to be like a like a director, like a TV director. He directed mm. a bunch of like Wizards of Waverly Place and shit like that. So okay, yeah. You know, he went on he went on to have a perfectly fun. I mean, you know, an admirable career in television. Mm-hmm. You know, like what are you gonna say? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Long longevity speaks uh, more than uh, oh, I had one series that everyone remembers, kind of thing. Right. You know? yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
we have a synopsis from Nick Reganis on IMDb. In the dark epoch of sorcery, the murderous megalomaniac King Titus Cromwell awakens the demonic necromancer Zuza of Delos to assert usurp the throne of the benevolent King Richard of Edan, enslaving his daughter and forcing into exile his youngest son, Talon. One violent decade later, Talon, now a great warrior wielding a magnificent triple-bladed sword, returns hell-bent on revenge. Unbeknownst to him, however, that the evil sorcerer is alive, gathering his strength for the ultimate battle. Will the dauntless adventure restore peace to the long-suffering kingdom? Is this the return of the Lost Prince? And, uh, yeah, we'll get into this here. Albert Pune's first film. So, uh, Daniel, what did you think of this? Uh, this was the first time watched for me. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure I've heard of it at some point, but I just never, you know, never watched it. Um, didn't, you know, with a title like sword and the, the sword and the sorcerer, it's not one that sticks in your head. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, you know? And so, uh, oh, actually you know, you, that, that sorry to interrupt you there, but, um, <laughs> When I first told you what we were doing a couple of weeks back, I actually mistook this one for another film because I said, oh, you know, uh, the first Albert Pune film, it's 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 got David Carradine in it. And it's kind of like Yojimbo, but sword and sorcery. And I was thinking of the warrior and the sorceress. So, yeah, well, how, it's can very- possibly, how can you possibly get these two confused? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, um, so yeah, no, uh, on your, you know, on your recommendation, I was all right. I'll watch it. I, uh, watched both of these on YouTube. I paid the rental fee to YouTube and watched them. So whatever version happened to be on YouTube, I know there's like a kind of 4k restoration and, and shit that happened, and, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what I watched. And, uh, that first, I mean, I'm just going to say like <laughs> that prologue, that first 20 minutes is, is a little rough for me. Like that's yeah. just, it's just, it's not even like info dumpy. Like I can handle info dumpy. It's just sort of like what the fuck is supposed to be happening in this story right now? Like, <laughs> who am I supposed to be paying attention to? It does do like some interesting twists. Like when, you know, Cromwell just kills Zushia, like the Zushia is set up as being like this, you know, the big villain of the piece, which kind mm-hmm. of spoiler alert, he ends up being the big yeah. villain in, in a lot of ways, but you know, he just like stabs him and then throws him off the, off the, off the cliff. And there's, you know, it's got, it's got some kind of clear, clever narrative constructions at points in this, in the film. I mean, it's actually better written than you think it would be mm-hmm. after that first 20 minutes. Yeah. And then like when Talon shows up and at first you think like, okay, this feels like kind of generic, you know, kind of sword and sorcery fantasy, you know, D and D campaign written down and, and mm-hmm. you know, hours kind of thing um but there's a lot of like there's a lot of like fun stuff like the further you get into it the more you feel like this is this is really having fun with this this is not like it knows why we're here and we're mm-hmm. here for blood and we're here for tits and we're here for you know <laughs> some, some cool special effects and maybe a giant snake that's what yeah. we're here for and this movie delivers on all of those things like i was legitimately surprised just how gory this film ended up being yeah I was not like I was kind of like sitting down, just sort of like casually watching, and then suddenly there there are some pretty intense torture sequences in this, and you know there's a mm. one particular uh, kill that's just like uh, I mean, um, you know, <laughs> sorry, Anna Bjorn as Elizabeth as Elizabeth Cromwell's whore. <laughs> that's mm. how she's credited in Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, there's a, there's a moment in which like right after uh, Frank Fo- Frank Fontana there. It's like, all right, guys, we're gonna go like storm the castle. Get all, get all the, get all the people that uh, Talon has saved together. And <laughs> I also love the element of like Talon is just literally like saved everybody's life. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, like everybody's like, oh yeah, that guy, he totally kicked ass for me. He saved my life. I gotta go. You know, and so there is this like everybody's coming together to like save Talon, right? 
But, you know, she's sitting there and she's like, I want to come. I need to come and I'm going to lead you guys in. And then just literally smash cut to we never should have followed that. bitch. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes. It's deeply misogynistic, like to, to its core. But it was such a sudden transition that I thought I had missed something. You know, <laughs> I thought I had missed the whole sequence. And it's just it's again that kind of like narrative construction. And then suddenly they bring her back out and she's supposed to be like one of the pretty girls that you're following through the film. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, we cut her tongue out because she wouldn't say anything. And then she like stabs herself so that like she so that they won't like give up information mm-hmm. for to save her life and shit. And it's like that is entirely aggressive. Like that is very aggressive for a film like this. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, and and it works it works like the film does not take itself remotely seriously mm -hmm. but it's got these moments that are just like okay i pune you got me on that one so um i found it it pretty thoroughly enjoyable i would probably revisit this sometime you know and uh i mean you know it's just i mean it just delivers what it asked for you know i Mm -hmm. i went in with fairly low expectations and it delivered well above my expectations so yeah yeah so this is not a first time watch for me. I've I've seen it a, a few times over the years. Uh, actually, like uh, my best friend who used to live like right across the street from me had it on. I, I believe it was on Betamax, if I'm not mistaken. He had, and we used to watch it a lot because hey, it had titties in it and, and gore in it, and it has quite a bit of titties in it. Like mm-hmm. it was, it did not, it did not disappoint with the titties. It was, yeah. you know. I like a lot in this. Um, I, I especially love Richard Lynch, who is all perm and scowls in this movie, where he is just so delightfully nasty. Like he is acting way harder than he needs to in this movie. Like it almost feels like, you know, I'm going to get every penny that I'm paid. I'm putting it on the screen right here. Like he, <laughs> like he brings Zusa back in this like fucking great opening sequence that feels like a Fulci film like it, yeah. with the level of gore because he brings him back and he's he's uh, he's he's got a, a thing I noticed like having watched a bunch of Pune stuff now uh, and watched uh, a bunch of Pune stuff for like the you know fourth or fifth time but you know with a new kind of eye on on his work um, seeing some of the stuff he does over and over again like the the hard reds and hard blues he uses sometimes in some scenes. So like the 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 bringing Zusa back is all lit in red and he's covered in blood and and he's got that witch like licking the slime off him and then he pushes her back and like then like basically d- does the the Kalima but he doesn't stick his fingers in her chest so that he just pulls her heart out <laughs> with magic right. and it's like that's a Fulci thing like that looks so Fulci it, it's it's crazy, and I don't think Pune ever watched a Fulci film, as far as I can tell. Like, I don't think that was kind of his his bag. But I mean, it's very Fulci like. I like how it's very much like Star Wars in a way. Like, it, it, yeah. it seems like there's a big Star Wars influence here. Like, even though you know, Conan the Barbarian's out the same year. Uh, I think it came out before this, um, and so like there was a big influence of sword and sorcery stuff just sort of happening around this time. Um, you know, the genre is really getting pushed forward on the small screen and the big screen, but this takes more of its cues from Star Wars. I felt like you, you got all the I exotic. Mean, I mean, Return of the Jedi was coming out like the next year at this point, mm. too. So I think like this is this is right in the prime time of like if you're gonna make something, make it Star Wars, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you, you've got exotic locales that we keep like 
smash cutting too. basically you got all these different peoples you got your special weapon this time the tri-bladed sword which that is, was that was definitely one of those moments of like yeah and then he just has like a spring mounted sword that can just shoot people that is uh you know that was definitely not designed to be a toy like no you can almost see like the hasbro you know, like logo on the side I mean, uh, the Nerf version, fine. Although back in the '80s, you know, it wouldn't be the Nerf version. It oh, no, would no, just no, be no. hard would, plastic. Yeah, it would be hard plastic. Yeah, like mm-hmm. you know, somebody would have gotten sued for you know, uh, <laughs> knocking out. But uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, tri-blade sword. It's three times as effective, and it's a sword gun as well because it shoots yeah. two of its blades. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, hit hit blades. It's, 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 he's got the Mach three. Is what he's got. You know. Yeah. He's got, you know <laughs> it's like everybody else is coming up with like, I got a straight razor, and he's like, check out my five-bladed monstrosity. Mm-hmm. That means like kick all your asses um you know i do i do love like sword utility is very much like plot based in this film is that mm-hmm. in some sequences you know like our protagonist talon has a sword and when he needs to be disarmed you can just break his sword apart and mm-hmm. then he has like a three-bladed sword like this big special weapon and you're like oh no this is like this is the one that's just going to kick everybody's ass and then like literally two minutes later it's in pieces you know? yes <laughs> you know? <laughs> But but I do love another thing I just picked up is like I, I was watching this and it pops up in Cyborg as well. Blades within blades, hidden blades mm-hmm. in places like <laughs> Pune's really into that shit. Like he he really he really thinks that's the coolest fucking thing ever. You know? Yeah, I mean, I was once a 12 year old boy, too. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I remember thinking about how cool. You know, things sorry, cyborg I saw when I was a kid. So, you know, like mm-hmm. the uh the knives and the boots, like where you know he does the roundhouse kick and the knife comes yeah. out of the tip of the, the the boot and like ah kills the guy. Like that seemed cool to me when I was and I just kind of imagine Albert Pune as just sort of perpetually that boy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean again, the Star Wars thing, it's got the evil empire, it's got a rebellion. I'm I'm actually surprised the opening like in the opening 20 minutes half the narration wasn't on a scroll coming in the front of the screen you know like I was like I was kind of expecting it and our hero is kind of a Han Solo character right he's 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 the roguish guy who brings some comedy to the uh, thing because oh yeah and and there's a ton of like just kind of generic comedy in this like (laughs) you you can't you can't imagine like Talon kind of walking in and being like and I'm gonna kill everybody Mm -hmm. and then like fighting style is and then i bash guys against the cardboard set and they fall down yeah <laughs> and I'm the most badass warrior imaginable it um reminded me uh, very fondly of certain episodes of doctor who i was uh, you know for, for kids, like third of this i'm like you could just call this running through hallways it would be fine you know? yeah yeah there were budget issues with this there there was like studio interference uh those kind of a thing pune always kind of uh, ran into like people are like why are we letting this guy do this because <laughs> p- because pune didn't shoot films quite in the sort of standard way that most people did like i guess there was like a producer on this who was like overseeing it half the time and like no we got to do it this way we got to do it that way that's probably why there's a lot of narration in it because pune wasn't too big on like i don't give a fuck about necessarily telling you what the story is 100 <laughs> percent um but but you, you can tell allowing the audience to follow the story. I'm not, yeah. I'm Albert motherfucking pew. And I'm not into that shit, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you can tell like the special effects look really great, but then you can, you can see like budget limitations that come out like in smart places economically, like in the opening 20 minutes, there's like two big battles, but we never see them. We see the aftermath of them, you yeah. know, that kind of thing, which I think is very smart 
filmmaking. It's like, well, when we don't have the extra, you know, $50,000 to get this battle filmed, we're just going to show you the aftermath. That's a lot easier. <laughs> well, I mean, it comes out in the end, the end of the film too, because a lot of the battles and sort of like the big, like, you know, castle sequence, you know, the kind of the bookends, the, 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 you know, the, the final like 15 minutes or so. Um, a lot of that action is just kind of generic. Um, well, mm-hmm. well, we, we lead in, with the real showstopper of a sequence, which we should probably discuss at some point, but uh, there's a lot of like generic clashing of swords and like kind of people running into each other and just kind of generic chaos. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> and then our hero Talon, uh, <laughs> who has just freed himself from being crucified. <laughs> yes. With giant spikes through both of his hands, which once he is free, like he yanks his hand, he physically, pulls himself off of the cross you know he's wearing a loincloth <laughs> he's got giant spikes going through his hand there is no question that this man has been impaled to mm-hmm. die. and then suddenly his hands are completely free of any injury i think there's a slight mark on the back of his hands and that's like it um and oh, then it, he's just literally flying through the air doing like somersaults and like yeah you know, like spinning around doing like like um Thor uh Thor two or no pardon me, Thor three, Thor Ragnarok, you know, that mm-hmm. scene where uh you know Thor like comes down and like kills all those guys on the bridge. I was like, this this feels very reminiscent, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like there was some inspiration taken because you know, but Thor is supposed to be a superhero and talent yeah. is supposed to be some guy, but he's literally like flying around on a on a loincloth and just beating the shit out of everybody. And it's gl- I mean, this is what I mean. It is glorious success. It is mm-hmm. so much fun to watch, but it is completely absurd. <laughs> it is. It is yeah. like it, it just turns into like an old swashbuckling yep. kind of serial, right? And and it's just, you know, he it doesn't matter if you if your hands have been uh, you know just just assume that it never touched any of the bones or the tendons that's all yeah. you know it's no, fine just, you know. <laughs> these <laughs> these huge daggers that he was impaled with that they, they didn't t- they didn't hit anything major it's fine like i thought i thought i thought like zushi was going to come back and like heal him or something like i yeah. thought i literally thought there was going to be some you know like explanation there or it was going to be like Zusha's going to come in and be like you know you're going to have to kill uh, Cromwell for me this one by the way naming the big villain Cromwell that. <laughs> and like he takes the crown from Richard I mean you know let's mm-hmm. just there's somebody's cribbing from from something there you know but. a little bit yeah but that, that's actually one of my big complaints is that to keep Richard Mole off the screen too long like yeah. he's at the beginning he gets turned on and then we see briefly that, oh, he's still alive. And then for the rest of the film, basically, he's posing as another person. And they don't yeah. spell it out right, out right away, but we discover it eventually. And it's like, mm, as cool as that reveal is, I still kind of wish he had been in more of the film because he is really cool. And I, I assume, again, it's just another budget thing. It's just like we can't yeah. we can't have him in 40 minutes of this film with those effects. Yeah. Well, and it works narratively, I think, because yeah, you know, he is missing and it is this almost this like mythical figure. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, would, it would be a mistake to sort of like read too much into like how the plot works here and sort of how the narrative construction is not it's not that clever but it's like mm-hmm. clever enough right i mean it, mm-hmm. it works 
in the sense of I'm watching a 90 minute movie, you know, a hundred minute movie. Um, it, it never, it never lingers on too much too long. And it gives me plenty of, you know, kind of stuff to, to interest me while I'm going along. And even if I'm not quite on board hundred percent with what's going on in the plot, I kind of know where we are and what we're supposed to be feeling at any given time. And that's, you know, for a movie of this kind of like size, you know, which, you know, it, given the number of people who are in this and how some of them look very similar to one another, which they do kind of a problem when you run into with some of these films, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I think it works. I think it works pretty well. Yeah. yeah uh, I, I like, um, even though she's not given a shit ton to do other than look good. I like uh, Kathleen Beller as uh, Princess oh, yeah. Elena. She's, she's pretty good. She gets, she gets the little, the recurring sort of thing where, Every time a dude tries to assault her, she, you know, knees him in the crotch. Yeah, that's 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 the height of feminism for this film, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what you're going to get. That's it. That's it. Other so, than that, women are eye candy and things to be rescued. That's yeah. it. And uh, things to uh, sort of uh, uh, sort of fall into, uh, like, you know, harems of naked ladies. Just <laughs> yes. yeah, that, that happens, like, more often than you think in this film. I mean, if you think, oh. like, well, that could happen like twice. You're probably thinking, yeah, no, it happens even more than that. It happens like yeah. quite often. You know, I, again, the inner 12 year old boy, like, yeah, no, I appreciate that. This is, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what I came, this is what I wanted from this movie. I didn't think I was going to get it, but I, it, it fulfilled that 12 year old boy need. Like, yes, I yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, this is fine. Yeah, we get uh, we 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 not only get a bunch of like side eye candy. Even our female lead gives us a nice like oil massage scene where her butts and oh, full oh, split. The, the film, the film, like holds it, it stops for a good thirty seconds for mm-hmm. that. You know, it's like we're literally running through hallways, and then it's like cut to Kathleen Beller covered mm-hmm. in oil, being massaged, <laughs> and you just a nice leisurely camera run down that. It's like, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they knew they knew they knew where you know there's a reason this made some money let's put it that way mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know uh <laughs> it was it was it was very nicely uh structured is what i'm saying yeah and i also i also think like even though there's a couple piece pieces of it that drag a little bit here and there i, I feel like the final fight like really pays off too between town and Com- cromwell oh, yeah. where you know Richard Lynch is just like, you know, bleeding from the eyes and he's ready to go and he's got one blade left. And and then, you know, Talon, who's kind of a, you know, even though he's a rogue, he's a fair sport. So he's like, OK, I'll drop the the other two blades on my sword. So it's one blade against one blade. And then they fight and that blade gets broken. And then he pulls this hidden blade. out of, out of <laughs> the hidden blade. And then they like trade weapons at some point. It felt mm. like you know talent is using the little staff with the two yeah and i'm like i don't i'm not sure quite how this fight choreography worked i mean you know this is not you know this is not the matrix level you know this is very uh you know again most of these fighting in this movie is like people running into walls so yes yes uh the 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 closure and the fight sequence and the whole like the snake the boa constrictor is like trying to uh, kill Mm -hmm. uh princess alana there and all that sort of thing like all that like that stuff really worked i mean at that point it's like this is this is really effective i mean and i feel like you know for a movie that kind of starts it starts slow it starts not necessarily slow but it starts with you know stuff you know it really like delivers in the closing i think that you know this last like eh, 20 minutes or so um that's where the movie really comes alive and i just wish more of the movie had been more like that but Mm. like i 
I think it, you know, I think it works. I think it really works. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Same here. Uh, <laughs> there is, there is one more bit. I don't know how, if you're, if you're wrapping up here, but there is one more shot I would like to mention here. Sure. And I was kind of going to it earlier. And that is um, after. So in terms of like things being off screen, I was mentioning like the big fight sequence with uh, where Talon has just freed himself. And then he's, mm-hmm. and then you have a bunch of like generic fighting and then you go off to the, to the big, you know, um, uh, Titus Cromwell is fighting Ty, uh, Talon, and um, you know, you, you get that sequence, and then you just cut back, and there's just this pan shot of oh. like all of the all of the like rogues who had come on mm-hmm. to help Talon. They each have their own like individual little harem girl, you know, yeah. on their side, and their enemies are literally like splayed like pigs on like the tables around yeah. them, <laughs> like like giant like feast, you know, and yeah. it's just like. You know, it's like handsome rogue, comely lass, bloody body, like six of them in a row. It, it, <laughs> and it is a one shot. It's like that's that's this is this is Pune's Last Supper is what this is. Like this it's is, you know, it's like, a it's a really fun choice that he sort of had that shot in it too. Yeah. It, it's like so these rogues are all splashed with blood because they just killed a dozen people each uh, all those people are dead around them the girls are just you know like yeah we're gonna fuck later and, yeah. the, and the and the rogues are just like eating the food from the feast that they can you know and they just don't care it's just like yeah it's been a day it's been a day it's tuesday <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no it it is it is really funny it's you, you can kind of you can kind of see that you know even pune just starting out here like you can see the the sort of eye he has for uh, a little bit of subtle comedy here and there, and 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 putting together good action pieces. And um, when we get into the second film, we talk about we'll talk more about his visual style. But you, even here, you can kind of see like the sort of start of you know he he's got certain things he wants to put on screen, and and he yeah. and he gets some of it in here. So yeah, I mean, it, I mean, again, it is amazing how successful this is. I mean, it, it was made for four bucks at least for wikipedia mm-hmm. and four million is not is not a like nothing budget for for that time period you know it is yeah. it is a you know substantial not not you know overwhelming but it is a substantial budget for a film of this kind and it shows i mean it, it you know like it, it's all there it's all there on screen you know yeah there are no big guys in this you know this is a bunch of tv actors you know yeah yeah uh, and yeah and it made 39.1 million uh yeah. which i believe made it uh Second most, I, I forget what the trivia was. Second most uh, successful independent film of the year, or something along those lines. Either way, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of the film that Pune ended up banking the rest of his career off of. Yeah. Essentially, you know, it's like it's a good little calling card to have in your in your pocket. You know, it's like, hey, I did this, so you yeah, know, maybe give me some money. It didn't it didn't necessarily mean that a lot of people gave him really good budgets to work with in the future, but it kept him working. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's how it goes. Um, also, uh, Kathleen Beller. I'm just gonna say this right now. Her like next film, or like her sort of last film, if you look at like her Wikipedia entry, mm-hmm. is a is a movie called Time Trackers, <laughs> which is not the um the one that was the, like the early '90s one that was done on MST3K. That was, oh like, yeah. Original. This is a completely different one that apparently is produced by Roger Corman, and co-stars Ned Beatty as a cop. And the trailer looks ridiculous, and I am desperate to track this movie down, but I don't think it was ever released, even on DVD. I think it was like VHS only, so I'm going to okay. have to 
hunt for this. Maybe but, uh, rare, maybe rare lust head. Rare, rare lust, that was the first thing I tried. <laughs> rare okay. lust did not have it. Uh, anyway, um, if anybody out there has a copy of uh, the time trackers from 1989, uh, I am definitely interested in seeing this because she looks lovely and very funny in it as well. So probably probably what you will find you'll go on ebay you'll find a uh you know for video store only copy not to be yeah. uh, rented for four hundred dollars and then yeah. you'll you'll get the vhs that's probably yeah. been played to death it's been played to death and it's filled with tracking uh, tracking material and uh, yeah you know, then you gotta find a vcr <laughs> so you know <laughs> Actually, I still own a VCR. It's been in, it's been in the basement for like ten years, but I actually do own a VCR. So. I mean, you know, depending on what model and what year you bought it, it might still work perfectly fine. You know, yeah. So you can get this pretty much anywhere. Like I said, you you can find uh, several versions on YouTube. Um, it's it's also on Tubi, I believe. Uh, 4K Blu-ray, regular Blu-ray, DVD, iTunes. Uh, you know, it's not hard to find. It's not a hard to find movie. A little bit of trivia here. So stuntman Jack Tyree was killed when he jumped off a cliff and missed his airbags. When asked if it was ever fully determined what went wrong with the stunt, Albert Pune says that Tyree had initially misled him, stating that he had previously jumped from that location. And he adds that in addition to being a babe in the woods on his first film, he was also uh, elsewhere at the time of shooting a different scene. So, uh Kind of, and you know, I've I've read that you know a lot of people were kind of like you know people who had actually worked on movies before were like kind of walking around pewing a little bit, you know, kind of like well, okay, this kid, this is his first film, whatever, we're just going to kind of do what we do, kind of ignore him a little bit, so you know, right. like, it, well, it also is a, you know completely like you know, oh well, the dead guy told me he had done this before, yeah, and also I was over there when it happened. Those exactly. <laughs> Those are two, uh, you know, completely justifiable defenses, you, mm-hmm. know? Um, you know, not to not to demean a dead man. But, you know, it is it, it's it's always questionable when the director just kind of goes, oh, no, that wasn't that wasn't on that wasn't on my watch. Yeah. <laughs> although although I, I, I kind of get the feeling this isn't the John Landis situation, though. Um, no. Yeah. Um, uh, so Richard Mull, who plays the undead wizard, who's resurrected, um, he, he was wearing contact lenses, but they reacted poorly to the muck. Uh, he rose out of, and they ended up fusing to his eyes. Um, so he had to go to UCLA to have the lenses surgically removed, and he was out of commission for the rest of the film after that. So some of the sequences uh, he was re- recast for uh, later on. Uh, so some, at some points, you're not seeing Richard Mole uh, actually play uh, Zusa. Um Here's an interesting one, which would have really changed this fucking film quite a bit. Well, actually, it, it wouldn't have changed necessarily what you see on screen, but I think it would have changed uh, the whole production if it had kept up. Uh, Oliver Reed was originally cast as the film's narrator, but he showed up drunk and <laughs> spitting mad. I knew that when said Oliver Reed. <laughs> he showed up yeah. drunk. Right. <laughs> uh, apparently, his verbal attacks escalated to breaking things in the office, but once he calmed down, he tossed a few compliments Albert Pune's way. Director still asked for him to be replaced, and the role went to Simon McCorkendale. Um, the Crypt of Souls in this wall in particular was designed by the Chiodo brothers, and uh, of course, uh, if you're familiar with them, their, their most famous calling card is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Mm. And, uh, you know, just they're, they're famous, like behind the scenes effects dudes in uh, a lot of different stuff over the years. 
Kathleen Beller told Albert Pune that the producers were threatening her, do nude scenes or be blackballed in Hollywood. And Pune said to ignore them. He shot her scenes fully clothed, maybe a little bit of cleavage, and told her, fuck them. So I guess maybe we're when they're doing That's the not, pan. Yeah, it's not her body. Yeah. 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 I mean, so it doesn't have to be anybody. It's, you know, like the, the point is not we're seeing Kathleen, Kathleen uh, Beller nude. It's, uh, you know, it's, oh my God, look at that shot. Either know? way, it works because I'm sold. I, I was convinced it was her. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yep. Nice bum. Um, and then, uh, and here's something that probably nobody needs to check out because this is definitely in the period where Pune was not making good movies at all that were necessarily worth watching. But there is a sequel from 2010 called Tales of an Ancient Empire, which was promised in the credits of, mm-hmm. of this film, starring Kevin Sorbo. Which, yeah, well, that's all you. Yeah, yeah. Although uh, Lee Horsley does make a return um, in it as well. So it is a direct sequel, uh, somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be playing his uh, his Django and Chained sheriff character. If he's going to show up in anything, that's what I want to see him as. You know? Yeah, yeah. All right, you had your fun. Now get out here. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick musical interlude, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about Cyborg from 1989. You ungodly warlock.
ungodly warlock. Okay, Cyborg, 1989, and we have a trailer. Welcome to the world of the not-too-distant future. Get going! Go! A brutal gang is reshaping the world into their own vision of hell. And only one man can stop them. Jean-Claude Van Damme is leading the battle between good and evil. Take a world as it's never been fought before. He's on a desperate mission to rescue a cyborg who holds the secret for saving the world. Why did you help me? I don't want to see that. From the dust of destruction rises the warrior of a new age. Say goodbye, my friend. Jean-Claude Van Damme has become the first hero of the 21st century. Cyborg. Okay, Cyborg, written directed by Albert Pune. Of course, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme as Gibson Rickenbacker. And man, people probably know pretty much everything he's been in, uh, at least at least in these initial years. Uh, he actually had an early role in Missing in uh, Action as yeah. an accredited soldier. He was also in the, uh, the original Breakin', not Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo, wow. but Breakin'. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you kind of you can you can no surrender on this show, or did we not ever do that one? No, we never did it because he's the main antagonist, or like he's like the the big guy that, that the protagonist fights at the end. In the, mm. uh, in the um, that was the first thing I ever saw him in. I think the closest we've ever got to Jean Claude Van Damme on this podcast before now is Predator, where we talked about how he was the original like alien in the costume yeah. before he got you know basically I can't do this and, and basically <laughs> left. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, he's famous of course for stuff like Bloodsport, Kickboxer, Lionheart, Universal Soldier, Double Impact. Went on and on to do more and more stuff, and he's still got a career going. Like he he still pops up in things. He's in the Expendables, one of the Expendables movies as the bad guy. Um, he has the J, JVCD or whatever, um, or JCVD, where he pl- basically played himself in kind of like a fights terrorist film or something like that. Very in-jokey kind of, you know. Uh, because, yeah. Yeah, there's literally a scene where, like, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, like the now, like, 50-something, you know, aging action star, is, like, fighting a bunch of, like, drug guys, you know, like, like mm-hmm. the henchmen. And uh, then somebody comments, like, why don't they fight him all at once instead of one at a time? <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, <laughs> which also, you know, somebody could have seen this movie and known how to how to take care of John Claude Van Damme. We can get to that later. But, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got Deborah Richter as a uh, Nady Simmons. Um, she was in a couple sex comedies from like the early 80s uh, that I noticed a uh, Gorp, which is a terribly rapey, weird sex comedy that should have just been called Grope. Um, yeah. Uh, and also hot moves and she's just in a lot of 80s tv like you name an 80s tv show she was probably in it 
she did at least one episode of it. So, you know, that yeah, was kind of, this is kind of the end of her career. And I mean, you know, she does like one movie after this and a little bit of TV. Like this is mm-hmm. we're now, you know, she, she hit 29 and that was, yeah. You know, you know, that's sort of the way some of these some of these actresses went. I mean, maybe she retired. Maybe she was happy to do. I don't know. But, you know, like it, it is. You do like to look and go like, well, what did they do in the 90s? And it's like, yeah, nothing. It was she was done. You know, I, I get a feeling a lot of a lot of actresses, especially back then, if they got like a good stretch of like 10 years of working and they had to deal with all the shit that they'd have to deal with as being an actress and, you know, that industry make your money and get the fuck out of there and do what you want. And if that's like the case with her, then, you know, great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah I mean, I, I wouldn't criticize that at all. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you, you never know exactly what happened, but you know, you do see this also pattern. And I mean, that also speaks to just how terrible the working conditions must you know, were for some of these people, you know, and you know, you know, you reach a point in which you're just done. So, you know, I mean, her, her first role on television was the Waltons in 77. So, I mean, her, mm. her, her, she ends in like 91 as kind of, so she had a, you know, a nice 14, 15 year career, you know, to yeah. do, doing various things, which is more than most people get. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we get Vincent Klein as Fender Tr- uh, Tremolo. And by the way, a lot of the characters in this are named after guitars, but so. <laughs> it's a very surreal. It's it is. A very, you know, like, hold on, hold on. Tell me this was written in a weekend without telling me it was written in a weekend. <laughs> You get the sense of like Albert Pugh is just like sitting in sitting in the music studio and going like uh, Fender, the bad guy. Oh, uh, Gibson, Gibson's our hero. Yes, there, there we go. He's probably probably sitting around smoking a fucking joint and like there's an uh, there's a issue of Guitar World World or something nearby and it's like oh what's what's in here, um, but uh, so Vincent Klein uh, from New Zealand in the mid '80s was known as one of the top five surfers in the world. And sort of got noticed doing that and started getting roles in movies. Um, uh, this was his first and uh, sort of discovered by Albert Pune. And he went on to do Kickboxer 2. Uh, he's in Pune's Doll Man, which is one of the full moon pictures that doesn't suck. You know, full moon known for Puppet Master and stuff like that. Uh, in a lot of really terrible movies. He also pops up in uh, Nemesis and Knights, which are also Pune films. Uh, he also pops up in Point Break. And I also noticed he's in the terrible Double Dragon adaptation of the video game with uh, Alyssa Milano. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 was that guy, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he, all you needed to do to, when when the most villainous thing imaginable was wearing mirror shades. That's the uh, that's 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 classic villain iconography for this. I, I do I do love though that Pune has enough sense that like you know. Again, I, I feel like he's very influenced by, especially the first Star Wars, where mm-hmm. there, where there's that whole lived-in sort of patina on everything in the universe. You have that in this film, so everybody's dirty. Even the dude's sunglasses just has like this layer of dust caked on it all at all times, which is great. I thought that was really cool. We got Dale Head in his Pearl Prophet, Alex Daniels as Marshall Strat. Another guitar. Uh, uh, Blaze Long as Furman Vux, uh, also, also a pirate and a bandit. So he's doing a couple different uh, roles here. Ralph Moeller, 
is Brick Bardo. And Brick Bardo is a name that pops up in a lot of Pune films. He usually has a character named Brick Bardo. Like, uh, I think he did it like seven times throughout his uh, directing career. He is probably best known these days as being uh, Conan in the live action Conan the Adventurer series that popped up in sort of the wake of Xena and Hercules oh, okay. and shit. Uh, it was really bad. It was a bad series, but uh, it was basically that. But he also showed up in Universal Soldier. Best of the best, too, and uh, big fucking time in Gladiator, the, the Gladiator. <laughs> um, yeah, Russell. Yeah, Russell Crowe's Gladiator. I was, I was actually thinking of Ridley Scott. I was like, Ridley. Yeah, Ridley Scott's Gladiator. Yeah. Haley Peterson is Haley. Terry Batson is Mary and Jackson Rock Pickney is Titus. And going into a synopsis here from Daniel Williamson on IMDb. Gibson Rickenbacker is a hired fighter living in a plague-ravaged apocalyptic America where a plague has infested most of the United States and the rest of the world. In New York City, Gibson encounters a woman named Pearl Prophet. Pearl reveals to Gibson that she is a cyborg who is carrying a vital information for a group of scientists in Atlanta who are working on a cure to the plague and hires and Pearl hires Gibson to escort her back to Atlanta. Pearl is kidnapped by pirates, a murderous gang led by Fender Tremolo, who wants to cure for themselves and decide to take Pearl to Atlanta themselves. Gibson, joined by a young woman named Nady Simmons, goes in pursuit of Fender and his gang as Gibson sets out to rescue Pearl, stop Fender from and his gang from reaching Atlanta and defeat Fender, who has slaughtered Gibson's family. Yeah, uh, that could have been written a lot better, but okay. Um, That's kind of the plot. Uh yeah, I, I think we both watched this previously at at, at some point. Yeah. You you mentioned. What are your thoughts on it, Daniel? Yeah, I would have caught this when I was a kid. Um, you know, on pay cable probably. I didn't see it theatrically. I was too young for it. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, I did. I did see it. I mean, I I didn't remember seeing it as as a kid. You know, and I've watched it. I don't know two or three times since then. I think I watched it like three or four years ago. It showed up on some streaming service or something. Like it was maybe free on YouTube or something. And I. Mm-hmm. It. And I remember watching it and maybe chatting with you about it, like, you know, maybe and I like what we've watched recently segmented. I remember like I, I actively remember seeing it like within the last few years and like talking about it to someone. And I'm assuming that's you because it, it must yeah. have been it. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, really, <laughs> this is a bad movie, I mean, you know, like, you know, it, it does what it does. It does it mm-hmm. well, you know, especially coming to this after the sword and the sorcerer, which I had low expectations for. And then like very clearly exceeded those, you know, even a reasonable expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, you know, the more I kind of come back to this, the more I'm like, you know, a, um, I, I know that most of our listenership is not like people in their twenties or whatever, but it is, it is one of those things of, uh, you know, you used to be able to just make a movie that looked like this. Mm-hmm. Like this year, like this year, you know, like this didn't look particularly cheap when I saw it as a kid. You know, I mean, it looks cheap, but it doesn't look like that cheap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and this would be like un unfilmable in, in its current state. Like you would never be able to like put up with this in terms of like a modern audience because you know you can just do things with CG now to just kind of clean all this shit up. Um, mm-hmm. So it looks bad in different ways, but you know, um, it, I do just kind of it does kind of strike me in watching films of this era of this kind of budget. It's like you know, this was released theatrically. Like you yeah. know, people need to see this. You know, um, not that many people, but enough people. You know, it did well. It did they really made, well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's there's a lot of like clever like fight stuff in this. I mean, you know, John Claude Van Damme is at his like most John Claude Van Damminess, and I think mm-hmm. that that's. The, 
that's really the selling point here is that you know john claude van damme gets to do his famous split kicks he does his roundhouse kicks he does he does the thing he's not a great actor i mean he's a better actor in other things he's not good here yeah um nobody's nobody's very i mean probably the only one um the guy who plays fender um yeah you know vincent klein is yeah. probably like one where i'd say like okay he's 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 giving a performance but he's even barely giving a performance deborah richter uh, looks like she just stepped out of a guess ad you know <laughs> yeah. everybody, else, everybody else is wearing like post-apocalyptic clothes and you know this and uh you know she she little looks like you know she just got like her hair permed and she's like out for a date uh to to uh to the mall like this well, you know and that's not that's not a knock on her it's just a knock on like that's the level of production value you're getting from this mm-hmm. movie when Albert Pune just doesn't give a shit, apparently, you know, <laughs> um, um, it's it's you know it does have some it does have some cool scenes. I mean, it, we get a second crucifixion. Didn't yeah. didn't realize we're gonna do two crucifixions in the same episode from the same director. But you know, apparently, yeah. you know, when all else fails, crucify the lead. And again, you know, and I even remember at the time, like the nails through the uh, through the wrists, and he just like kicks the mass down. He's been like captured. He kicks the mask down, and then suddenly, he's fine. You know, you see him like unveiling, unwrapping a bandage like some hours later, Mm -hmm. and like just get completely healed. So apparently, you know, you can just nail people to to um, to to wood, and they just sort of like get up and move on <laughs> as soon as the as soon as the pretty girl helps to free them that's all that that's all that's necessary yeah i, I mean if i had given taken a pass at the script i would have did at least a small rewrite where i mentioned oh yeah no um jean-claude von damme's a mutant who has a bit of a healing factor well, well, you know and i feel i feel like this is this is a little bit more conceptual and I, maybe this is not where you wanted to go with this right away but you know when when you sit down and it's like John Claude Van Damme in Cyborg. You know, mm-hmm. if that's your if that's your pitch, you're like, so John Claude Van Damme is the cyborg, right? Going around, he's got like super fast reflexes, and that's how he's able to beat all these guys, right? Like that's the like that's the that's the pitch that you're implicitly selling me when you do this. But no, the cyborg is this girl who's like a cyborg because she has to Johnny mnemonic some data from you know, mm-hmm. New York, Atlanta. Okay, so she's very like why she has to be a cyborg. Nobody invented a floppy disk, in, you know, in 1989. Yeah, uh, you know, and she and she's yeah. a she yeah she's a very low key cyborg too. It's not like yeah, she's like, super strong she or anything. Doesn't do anything. Like there's no reason she's a cyborg except like they get to do some like cool, you know, like special effects. They have some like model effects and they do some. Uh, some I stuff. I really like that though. Like that, yeah, that oh. we're at the we're at the tail end of like stop motion, like this and RoboCop, yeah. you know. No, no, this is, this is, I mean, you know, like, uh, T2 is going to come out in two years and just like suddenly this is gone. This is, mm-hmm. this is gone two years from now. And I mean, you know, for a movie made for $500,000, I mean, it looks very, it looks fine. You know, yeah. it looks fine even now, but it looked fine for the time. Like, you know, you can tell it's an effect, but you can always tell it's an effect, you know. Um, you got to think for 500 grand, they probably spent at least 100 grand just on the, uh, just on those, uh, on those effects. Like that, that was expensive even then, you know, but, you know, it, it gets in all the trailers and it, and it sells it, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. It was like it's very like she even has like the sort of like the heads up display vision in times and it's like this feels like very like we're trying to be the terminator and you like again watching it the first time you think like she's gonna like come out with some like badass moves or something at some point and it's gonna be like oh that's why she's a cyborg but no it's just it's 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 literally a mcguffin and then we're following a we're following like normal guy around you know did did we even need did we even need this like this 
plague cure thing like that that is so inconsequential to the whole story it's really his revenge tale right yeah gang right i don't know it's it's his revenge tale against fender and that would be much more like ultimately it's supposed to be like oh he's supposed to be like the good guy here yeah supposed to be finding his morality but you never get the sense that he's like some you know dastardly fiend he's, or anything he's like not that. shitty no he's, no, he's i mean he's, he's just a dude you know yeah. like i mean he's he's kind of and he's kind of i mean like he doesn't kill he doesn't kill the guest jeans girl at the beginning you know when yeah. like at first you think maybe he did because like he just like he gets like attacked and like throws something at her and it's like well he just put a knife through like an innocent like, <laughs> like you know you know this could be a this could be a real dark place this movie's going in the beginning you know? <laughs> Apparently he just keeps like a non-lethal thing he can throw at any given time, mm-hmm. and then she's perfectly fine. She wakes up, and you know it's everything's good, and he's got this tragic backstory that just kind of goes nowhere. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't go nowhere because like it turns out that the little girl who was tortured in one of the few scenes I actually did remember from this film, like mm-hmm. that barbed wire scene is one that like definitely stuck with me as a kid, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do want to mention that. Okay. So this is where I'm going to give this mo- movie more credit than I think you're going to give it. Uh, okay. I, th- yeah. I, I, I think, I think in a sense, Pune is kind of stuck with Canon films. They're going to give him a budget so he can only do what he can do with $500,000. This is a smaller budget than what he's used to working oh, yeah. with. And, you know, give him credit. He's still got the resources of Canon Films. So he's got good cameras. He's got good people behind the scenes and production and the like. So the film actually looks really good, especially like the outside shots and everything like that. This is kind of his Leone Spaghetti Western, because yeah. when we get to the flashbacks that uh, Rickenbacker has, of you know the the people he was trying to protect and and how that girl ends up failing the test and having the barbed wire you know slip through her hands and her family dies that is directly cribbed from Once Upon a Time in the West right? yeah that, that, that's harmonica sure you know yeah yeah I thought uh, it was great I and it only I only picked up on that this time watching I was like oh shit that's Once Upon a Time in the West you know, I was I was kind of sitting there and thinking like it's it's one of those things where. I don't like this movie because I want it. I want it to be the better version. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if you're given this budget and you've got, you know, like not a huge budget and you're working within the constraints of Canon, like I get all of that. It has to, you know, it has to like put butts in the seats on some level. It has to fulfill mm-hmm. certain guidelines. But like, if you're going to go with like the 10 year old girl who is like tortured by like having to like kill her whole family. If you're going to put that in your movie, like, you know, do something more like, like she should come back and she should be like, I mean, she should be the one, right. You know, like she should be, you know, the one like not following in this guy around, or if she is following him around, at least give us something, you know? And I feel Mm -hmm. like what, what I liked about the sword and the sorcerer, like with all of the, stuff moving around in that movie and with all that it's a little bit over peopled and there's just kind of like you know like you could you could trim some fat here and there i mean it ultimately it all works but you know there is stuff you could trim like this felt like i'm sitting here for 80 for 84 minutes or however long this movie is uh 82 minutes this is 82 minutes long and it feels longer than that it feels like very much like 
I I am treading water because suddenly there has to be a scene here. And what they're really wanting to show me is like John Clad Van Damme kickboxing. And what I want to see is like what happens when these guys are like 20 years older and like Vincent Klein is like sitting in the in the tavern and like Rickenbacker walks in and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I remember I, of course he dies at the end of the movie, but like you could imagine sort of like the old, you know, the old ways, you know, and now like the cure is coming all around and you know, we're we're all just like kind of you know, we're we're out to pasture now because they're rebuilding all the cities. Like, I mean, if you're gonna do once upon a time in the West, I mean give me that's at least, at least a bit of once upon a time in the West, you know. That's like, uh that's a great that's actually I, I'm actually on board with your your remake of this. That's a great right, way to yeah. do it because because yeah. the cure is suddenly the fucking train coming into town. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It, it's and and you even have all those like that great like opening dialogue of you know Klein being like I like this world I, over like a roach a cockroach like climbing on a on a steel girder or whatever you know it's this very like evocative thing but then like ultimately he's just kind of a thug yeah and he's just kind of like and he like <laughs> also it's like his big like villainous thing is like I want to take the cure and then make and then have it for me so I can make money off of it and it's like oh so you're you're so you're an American health insurance company yeah the big the big villain of the piece is like patent troll <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> yeah he's 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 that uh He's that fucking dude who jacked up the prices on all the pills there who went to jail, Scalaria or whatever his fucking name yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, which is, I mean, that gets a piece of shit. But, you know, like, yeah. it is. It is like, I mean, what happens? What happens if John Claude Van Damme is not in this movie? What happens if like Rickenbacker is just not here? Like ultimately, uh, clients, uh, you know, Fender's goons like protect the cyborg all the way down to Atlanta. They show up. The only thing is that Fender gets a piece of the action, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the scientists in Atlanta are like, yes, thank you for bringing like, they don't care which violent thug brought. <laughs> brought exactly. Yeah. Them. They're like, yes, do you want some guns? Please go kill all the marauders out here. We would be happy to do. And, you know, again, there's a, there's a more interesting story there, but you know, it is like, and I get that's not the story they want to tell. It's, it's, you know, and, it, and it's 82 minutes and it's gotta be like certain things, but it is, it's like, it's, it's like, there's enough here that it's a disappointment. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. what I kind of get with, with cyborg is that it just, it feels like, man, there's another movie here that I would much rather be watching. I think, I think my biggest disappointment with this uh, on top of the fact that they didn't make the film you just mentioned is that Fender himself isn't a cyborg. It feels like he's supposed to be, especially because we have reveals where he told, pulls his sunglasses off and yeah. he has those like really striking blue eyes. And there's even like implications like in the in a couple of lines of dialogue where like, oh, she's a skin job or whatever, which is like implies that there are other cyborgs in this world, you know, and I get that we're only following like these this group of characters and we have budget constraints and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But like it does feel like there was going to be like this moment of like, oh, and then Fender's a cyborg like you're going to like like he's going to like smash him in the eye and then suddenly like it's going to be like T2 where like the big glowing red eye comes out. Or right. Something. Guess, and you never you never you don't get that. Yeah. Because I, I do like that, you know, uh, Van Damme here, he's so he's basically the wandering samurai type. Perfect way to use him, especially during this period where he's not a very good actor. It's just like he doesn't have to say much. He just has to kick ass and look stoic, you know. Um, yeah. But I, I do like that he is sort of depicted as, yes, he's, he's skilled. He's a good fighter, 
but he's against this really big gang of guys who are going to fuck him up if he fights them like all together. So he's like taking out guys, you know, with his skill and his cunning, like you have that sewer sequence where he, he gets Ralph Muller down in there and then like ambushes him and kills him with one knife thrust, you know, kind of thing. Uh, After doing the famous Jean-Claude Van Damme split. (laughs) Yes. There's that shot of him like between the walls, which are precisely wide enough so that he can just split right between them. Mm -hmm. And then the, and stab him and it's like yeah that that feels like that was a risky move if uh Rolf Muller had like looked up slightly but you know hey it, yeah. it works it, it, it works and i mean i really like the fight sequence where you know they get out of the sewer and there's that big field and i feel like you know pune rarely ever had like big open spaces to film in necessarily especially in this period like uh, like you look at like radioactive dreams which is like all like in two warehouses or something he shot in kind of thing here he's like really let he gets to breathe even if he, you know, even if he doesn't have the budget and he's got, you know, Canon Studios telling you got to do this, you got to do that. I feel like this is the f- film where you kind of see the pune that could have been. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, because I, it's just a shame that like his Monument Valley is like North Carolina. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, no shade on North Carolina, mm. uh, North Carolinians, but you know, it is. All right, we're out in the middle of a grassy field. We've got a puddle to fight in. That's our, you know, that's that's our Monument Valley for, for Albert Pune. You know? Yeah. But, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, Pune was a nerd like us, right? Like he, he obviously loved like, sci-fi and action and and monsters and cool shit and he had a knack for visual storytelling and you know he kind of made it but he never fully had like support of like a big studio behind him so like he had to struggle his entire career you know despite you know you know and he had his illness and his budget limitations like he had he had ms and dementia at the end you know kind of thing so he but you know and a lot of his odor his later output was not watchable because he didn't have the budgets but you look yeah, at i mean some, i'm not i'm not trying to like bash pune here no i don't I think, think you are i'm not saying that but it is i'm just trying to be honest about like what this what it is is an experience mm-hmm. in 2022 you know we're kind of knowing what we what we know now you know and, yeah yeah and, you know what what could have been had had there been a little bit more had it yeah. not been written which is effectively how this is written. Yeah. yeah. But but I do I do feel like uh Sword to Sorcerer and like Radioactive Dreams in this were like really good examples of where he could have went had he had like a big studio backing him and like believing in him kind of thing. So, you know, he got out of his like 30 year career or whatever, he got like 10 good years where he made some interesting films. And even though, you know, I like Cyborg a little bit better than you do. I still, you know, I I still think it's it's kind of a success in in the sense that like it it kind of shows off his talent at the very least, even if the if the film doesn't you know kind of live up to his talents. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I think I was maybe you know being a little bit harsh on it. You know, I think it was more um, again just kind of coming at it as someone who who you know knew this film as, as a child and kind of like going like yeah, the flaws in this are a lot more apparent to me now. And, well, I, you know, I mean, you're not wrong because. And when you start like referencing Once Upon a Time in the West to me, you're like, <laughs> it's like, well, why am I not now watching Once Upon a Time in the West? Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you know, there, there is a little bit of that kind of going yeah. on, right? Yeah, fair. And I mean, you know, to be totally fair, there, there is. It feels like fifty minutes of this movie is basically just Jean Claude Van Damme in warehouses fighting dudes, and you know post-apocalyptic armor and yeah. you know and it, it is a lot of that so like it, it is a canon film it is what it is and we'll get once we get to the trivia we'll kind of 
you know, <laughs> suss out why this looks like it does. But yeah, I, I like it a little bit more than you. I'm not, yeah. I, I gave it, I give it just kind of a bare recommendation, honestly. I mean, you know, I, I think it's interesting enough to watch. I mean, I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, you know, like avoid. And I also think like there are certain, like certain, uh, like sets, like there's this, um, set in the, uh, kind of in the, when the, when the first, like kind of gang of marauders who are not, who are not Fender's gang, but you know, mm-hmm. who kind of capture our, our guest jeans girl. <laughs> and then yeah. like, you know, and then Gibson has to go and like kick some ass like that. That whole like area felt like a very kind of like, like fallout three was inspired yes. by some, you know, that you could definitely see like some of the visual influences were kind of used by, by later, um, by later productions that were, you know, more financially successful. Shall we say? Yeah. We, we, we did mention how, you know, how uh radioactive dreams was a big followed influence. I mean, I, I, I can't see how this isn't as well. There's, there's a lot of yeah. stuff in here that pops up in follow games, you know, very much. Yeah, so. Sure. And uh, I mean, this would have been, I, I can't remember. I think the first follow game was 91 or something, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it would be hard to imagine that this wasn't kind of, cause this, I mean, it wasn't like a huge movie, but it made enough money that like people saw it. I mean, it was, it would have been rentable on VHS, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, and it would have been, you know, kind of a common, like kind of visual motif. I don't think this, is unique to this film. I think there were a lot of films made in the eighties that were, that sort of had like kind of similar motifs, but I think this one, again, on the budget it had, it is, it is very successful. It is very visually evocative in a lot of ways, you know, and and that's, that's not anything I was, you know, that, that has nothing to do with like the criticism I had earlier. Like, I think, Oh yeah, no, fine on that level. You know, I I agree. It does have this kind of lived in world kind of feeling Mm -hmm. to it. And um, sometimes it is, (laughs) you know, I think John Claude Van Damme sometimes looks like, you know, he comes off the cover of Tiger Beat. They put him in like a beat up jacket <laughs> and then just slightly tussled his hair, you know, like badass warrior. Look, how, look how tough I am. I love at one point he has like, the wig on where his hair super long and he's got the fucking uh, <laughs> he's got the ponytail or whatever going on in the background. Yeah. Like, OK, what what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> I did look at like because you can't even find like the uh, the name of the character who he's supposed to be like who's in his who was like killed by Fender's gang like years ago or whatever you know during those the mullet the mullet years you know mm. or whatever you know but her name she is on the Wikipedia page she her name was Terry Batson and apparently she was like a runway model and shit and uh, yeah. you know. I don't think she she doesn't even have any other IMDb credits or anything like this is it. Like this is the only thing she was ever in. Yeah. Then, yeah. She had like four lines of dialogue, but damn, she looks good. <laughs> yeah. She looks good. Yeah. Albert Pugh knew how to cast, <laughs> you know, like, you know, yeah, he does. No, he, he definitely had an eye for post-apocalyptic and for the ladies. Um, and for the ladies. Yeah. yeah. Those are the two things he was quite good at, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so and, been- and, and scenes of people fighting by running towards these other yelling, holding a knife. Like that's also, Oh my God. Like- that, that last scene where they, the last fight, it's all yelling. It's just, yeah. yeah. I, I love, I love the, uh, there's this one moment in which, you know, John claude Van Damme is like standing there. He's got that. I guess it's like a, like a, like a, some sort of, it's a gun, but it's not, it's like, it shoots uh, like spikes or something. Something like, like I, that. Yeah. Yeah, you never really get a sense of exactly what it is, but future he's, gun. In, he's literally got it in his hands and he's on a gangplank and the guy is like running towards him with a knife and he's got his gun. Like he's literally holding his gun and then he like puts it aside <laughs> and then goes running towards the guy with his own knife. And it's like, um, there was another way you could have saw like Indiana Jones knew how to solve this problem. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, you know, this is literally the man who brought a knife to a gunfight and you were like, no, no, no. 
I, I'm a, I'm a gentleman. I will, I will also fight with the knife. You know. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, Talon. If he had a gun, he would have just shot the guy because Talon's oh, yeah. more of an Indiana Jones. He would have either shot him or shot him with his gun sword. You know. <laughs> <laughs> he would have had he would have had a gun sword inside a gun sword. He would have yes. shot him with the gun sword <laughs> that was inside the other gun sword. And then later on, there would be another sequence where he has to like scramble to the other gun sword and then use that gun sword to kill another guy. Like, <laughs> you know, that's the Talon way. It's just, yo, dude, I heard you like gun swords, so I put a gun sword in your gun sword. Like that's the, uh, you know, like in a case that's that the, gets broken, you can always yeah. pop open the hilt, and there's another yeah, sword in there. Another sword in there, yeah, exactly. And there's a little button on there; it can shoot. Yeah. You know, just yeah. in case. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, um, and it does have, there is another one of the uh, kind of like a uh, favorite sequences there. Um, just this moment in which you like, you think uh, John Claude Van Damme's going to do some like Jim Cotter or something. Cause he's like hanging from that uh, parallel bar. Right. Uh, like he's about to get like the, the goons are coming after him. And so he just shakes really hard and then like loosens the pipe and then like swings down it. Like again, Indiana Jones on a whip mm-hmm. style, you know? And then like kills a guy. It's like okay, yeah, no, this yeah. is this is fun. Um, uh, <laughs> I should mention one plot element that I actually appreciated, like the one, not the one, but like something that I thought was actually uh, like effective and that points towards the better movie for me. Mm-hmm. John Claude Van Damme comes up to the cyborg, like he's like, no, no, I can take you away. I can keep you safe to Atlanta. And she's like, you're, you're not strong enough to keep the, you can't, you can't stop these guys. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna go with them. They're gonna take me to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, okay. So this part of the plot is now done. <laughs> all I'm doing is uh, it's just the revenge fantasy now. That's all. That's yeah. all that we're doing, when, you know? you, when you think about it. Yeah. They, they basically acknowledge in the movie, this whole other plot, this did not need to happen. Like there's no reason for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's the plot. Uh, there's the plot of the cyborg, like where she's the lead character. Mm-hmm. And then John Claude Van Damme is just like a little fly spec who shows up occasionally <laughs> yeah. to get in the way. Of her getting to Atlanta to give the cure to these guys. You know? Like realistically, she would have got to Atlanta much sooner if John Claude Van Damme hadn't fucked around. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. you know, people died because mm-hmm. you know because they didn't get the cure fast enough. That's the that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's not clear exactly how like the cure is. It's a MacGuffin. It doesn't matter. You know, we get like one shot of someone with uh, with like boils in their face. The plague is everywhere, and it's like everybody looks pretty healthy to me. I mean, you know, kind of dirty, and you know, they all, they all look like the gang in uh, Demolition Man. The, the the people who live yeah. under the street in Demolition Man, basically. You know, yeah. it's very, it's very much that aesthetic that aesthetic i mean it's yeah. the, you know the ragamuffin crew you know mm-hmm. <laughs> oh great moment with uh the, the little the little ragamuffin child who's literally wearing like quilts he's yeah. just covered in quilts and he's got like the one bouncing ball left in this post-apocalyptic universe and then some like tough guy tries to take it from him or something and john claude, john claude van damme like you know proves he's a badass by like beating the shit out of the guy with the rubber ball mm-hmm. and then giving it back kid yeah it's like how hard do you have to throw a rubber ball to like knock this guy unconscious like that feels that feels slightly unrealistic but you know it's a fun it's the it's the uh it's the safe the dog moment you know oh it's the equivalent of getting the cat out of the tree for daniel have you ever have you ever seen the west craven classic deadly friend i have not there is a basketball kill in that film because deadly friend basically involve involves this young girl who gets killed and she's brought back as basically a robot and she goes wrong 
she throws a basketball so hard that she explodes the head of the actress who plays Mama from Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, yeah! Wow, you might want to look that up. It feels like that feels like at least a scene I need to watch. You yes, know? that's yeah. all you need to watch in that film, honestly. Yes, but, no, no, no. basketballs are deadly. Yeah, but this was this was little like a little bouncy ball. This was like a kickball. Like this wasn't even a basketball. Like, <laughs> This was practically a beach ball, you know, sort of like consistency. Yeah, that, that, this is where Jean-Claude Van Damme needed to be a cyborg, so he could have threw, threw yeah. it hard enough to, you no, know. No, no, definitely, you know, and yeah. again, like, and just imagine, I mean, I'm just, I'm just imagining the, the, the better version here, but um, yeah, and sorry, I know you were kind of wrapping up getting to trivia and stuff, and I keep like distracting you with no. the random banana, but you know. Um, I do, I do enjoy quite a bit about the movie. It's just disappointing for me um, on this rewatch, but yeah, fair enough. So this was made for less than five hundred thousand dollars, or not a little, a little unclear what the exact budget was. That's part and parcel for canon films because uh, honestly, a lot of times uh, Golan and Globus would. Um, We'll start production on a film and then we'll uh, transfer some of the funds into this other film and then we'll make the funds disappear in this place. And all of a sudden, oh, three films didn't get made. This one film got made under budget. And yeah, um, there's some money going somewhere and only go in and globe is really nowhere. Yes, but it made between nine point five to ten point two million, depending on uh, what figure you, you believe there. It did do very well. It was like the fourth top grossing film in whatever thing that rates film grossing for a specific time and place. Uh, <laughs> you can find it on Blu-ray, DVD, iTunes, Amazon Prime, Voodoo. Uh, all kinds of places. It's everywhere. Have you seen the director's cut would be the question. I have not, uh, which I am interested in. So, yeah. so th- this is interesting. So this is the tail end of Canon films. Basically this film was conceived to u- use costumes and sets built for masters of the universe's sequel. Uh, of course, masters of the universe, the Dolph Lundgren film based on He-Man, which was kind of a big failure, but they had been, you know, planning the sequel and they had a bunch of stuff in production. Um, So they had sets and stuff and costumes for that. And also for a Spider-Man film that they lost the rights to. Uh, So uh, Albert Pune basically planned to shoot both projects simultaneously. Canon films had to cancel deals with Mattel and Marvel because of their financial troubles. And they needed to recoup the money spent on both projects. So Pune created this, the script on, on uh, spec uh, under the pseudonym Kitty Chalmers, for some reason, using two previous scripts, Johnny Guitar and Alex Rain. Some network television channels still give the film's title as Masters of the Universe 2 Cyborg, apparently, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know if I believe that. Yeah, that, piece, that, but- that feels like a bit of a, like, you know, where Japanese, the Japanese title of Spider-Man is like hoppy, hoppy spider person. <laughs> like- yeah. So the script was originally written with the idea of Chuck Norris playing the lead, which makes sense, you know, canon films at this point. But I think this was kind of around the point where Chuck Norris is like, I ain't making films to you anymore. Fuck you. Golden Globus convinced Albert Pune to cast Jean-Claude Van Damme instead after his success in Bloodsport. And the, the, yeah, of course, uh, Van Damme was on the rise here at this point. Yeah. So it was like, let's get that guy. Yeah, um, I Coming star at this point for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Pune's original cut of Cyborg was much more stylized. It was in black and white, had a rock 
score had more violence and had all of Jean-Claude Van Damme's dialogue, including extensive narration dubbed by another actor. Ooh, Ooh, I don't, that's, that sounds interesting and really bad, baby. Um, yeah. It was much more dark, violent, and cynical. Canon held a test screening of this version for a small audience and hated it. Only one out of 100 people surveyed liked the film. Due to this, Pune was kicked off the film, and Van Damme convinced producers Golden and Globus to instead let him and his producer friend Sheldon Ledich edit the film, as he had done with Bloodsport, and asked them for two months. Cyborg was finally released two months later, that started a trend where virtually every movie of Pune's, the next 12 or 13 of them, was taken away from him by the studio and recut eventually. So, so this is this is American History X just done 10 years earlier. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like the star comes in and goes like, we really need more. There needs to be more me. That's that's the that's the problem. It needs mm-hmm. to be. I need to be front and center on this like pune's version sounds more interesting it does, you know, I mean, it, does. It's, it sounds more like the sort of thing that we were kind of talking about like kind of like what what this film could be you know yeah um, but uh yeah no that, that that the voice you know unless he's just like yeah john john claude van damme he does he does the split kick nicely but not an actor <laughs> no yeah this was the last official theatrical release from canon films after they they went into bankrupt in 1987 of course canon still lasted for a few years basically um golden globe was split and canon was still making movies for a while but it was like all direct to video and stuff after that uh, for the last few years that they lasted. Yeah. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme accidentally wounded Jackson Rock Pickney's eye during a sword fight scene, permanently blinding him in that eye. And he took Van Damme to court and eventually won a settlement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it, seems like, it seems like that's more of a, um, you know, film studio having the, <laughs> having a, uh, you know, liability issues than like yeah, that, I, Van Damme personal responsibility, but you know, yeah, I, I blame, I blame Canon on that. They, they probably had nobody there like, uh, you know, vetting like, Oh, we shouldn't do this or that. It's just like, yeah, go ahead. So this has an interesting kind of sequel uh, history. So there's two official sequels, Cyborg Two glass shadow, which actually has uh, Angelina Jolie in it. Yeah. Um, and uh, Jack Palance, and that, that was direct to video. And then there's Cyborg 3 The Recycler, uh, which also was direct to video. And those are done by different directors. I don't even know if they fall into the canon at that point. I think canon was done by then. But Pune himself has done several films, and they basically are unofficial sequels to this or somehow connect in a certain way. Uh, he made Nemesis and Knights in 1992 and 93, respectively. Then he went on to make more Nemesis films, uh, up to five of them, up until 2017. And apparently they all have like loose connections to Cyborg and a lot of the same themes. He also made Omega Doom and another film called Cyborg Nemesis, which apparently officially kind of like connects the Nemesis series to Cyborg in some way. So he was kind of using these ideas for like the last reminder remainder of his career was just kind of like, this is the shit I do. And this is what I'm going to do in all my films going forward for the most part. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Daniel, it was an absolute pleasure to have you back. Yeah. It's it's, it's, fun to to talk about Pune. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, I think we don't need to do the full Pune cast. I think I'm, 
I've had I've had I've had my fill of Pune. Yeah. But, uh, at least in terms of talking about it on the podcast. But you know, there's a there's a lot of good stuff here, and I think uh, you know I you know I would give a strong recommend, or at least a you know a recommend to the Sword and the Sorcerer. And uh, if you haven't seen Cyborg, it's definitely worth it. You know, I think I'm just kind of done with Cyborg, but you know, it is, <laughs> and I think particularly if you think of it as like sort of like you know. The the you know, the once upon a time in the west. Once you understand that's the motif he's going for, I think that um that does uh, that does uh, work in its favor in some ways. So for sure, yeah. So not sure exactly what we're doing next. Um, this should be out on New Year's. You should be listening to this on New Year's Day. I do know that we are planning to do the Alec Baldwin, The Shadow from the nineteen nineties. Um. And that will be the next official pick. And we're, we're doing a new thing now, Daniel, where I pick a movie and then Lee goes and looks at the actors or actresses in the film. And it's like, oh, what are their filmographies? I'll pick one of those from them and then we'll go forward. So we've been doing that sort of loosely on and off the last couple of months. So uh, The Shadow is, is the next one. It's my pick. And so we're going to be doing that. Uh, we, we, of course, have our end of the year show where we... Um, talk about our best and worst of uh 2022 uh, i don't know of any how many movies you've watched the last I, haven't, I haven't even watched enough stuff to you know i i'd have to go back and look through it but i don't think i've even watched 10 movies this year frankly <laughs> yeah. i watched two this week you know I pro- I, i'm sure i've watched 10 movies but you know it's it's uh, you know i've uh, i've been working on other things unfortunately mm-hmm. so. yeah uh but yeah that's what's coming up with us uh daniel tell people where they can find you on the interwebs well, uh, so long as, uh, you know, Elon Musk allows me to be, I'm on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, uh, I do a podcast about, um, you know, far right dipshits and the dipshittery they get up to. Um, that's called, I don't speak German. It's at, I don't speak German.lipson.com. And you can find me on Patreon, uh, at Daniel Harper or Patreon, patreon.com slash Daniel Harper. If you want to give me a dollar a month to track Nazis for, you know, <laughs> part basically full-time so you know um th- this is this is the goofy thing that i do uh, now occasionally but um i've been saying for a while i really want to come back and, and do more of these so hopefully we can i can i can pop back in a little more often but uh you know i think i think the new year is going to be you know healthier for me so hopefully we can we can take care of some stuff cool and also you know if, if you do pay on pay into either uh daniel or his partner jack graham's patreon you can get uh, they they do talk about movies quite often on on the uh, yeah. Patreon episodes, so yeah, it's, it's good times. The bonus episodes, yeah. I mean, we did um, Slaughterhouse Five. We did the book and the movie um, <clears throat> fairly recently. Um, yeah, oh God, what of our recent bonus content have been? Um, sometimes we just do news events. Sometimes we do, but we do some movies. We've done uh, Fargo. Um, we've done. Um, God, I can't even remember right now. You probably remember better than I do. You did the <laughs> you Fugitive uh, last one? Oh, yeah, that was, that was a fun one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that's a movie that I you know quite liked, and I would love to. You know, I've kind of already done it on my show. Uh, you know, on the on the on the on the other feed, but I would love to chat with the Fugitive with you sometimes. Because, <laughs> yeah, I'd probably repeat some of the same talking points, but I think it would be a fun chat. You know, particularly yeah, yeah. if we get Lady Lee involved, I think she would have some things to say about you know about the Fugitive. You can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all of our uh, other episodes and go to the Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. You can get in direct contact with us and give us, you know, our, your thoughts on our shows and let us know what you'd like to see us cover. And uh, that's, you know, that's the best way you can get in touch with us. But uh, until next time, uh, again, thank you, Daniel. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you back. 
And uh, thank you all for listening and uh, happy new year. Yeah. Happy new year. Yeah. listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. For further episodes of this podcast, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts and pretty much any podcatcher that you can find. Thank you. Drive through.